Hi there, I'm Zach Braff. And I'm Donald Faison. We're real-life best friends, but we met playing fake-life best friends, Turk and JD, on the sitcom Scrubs. 20 years later, we've decided to re-watch the series one episode at a time and put our memories into a podcast you can listen to at home. We're going to get all our special guest friends like Sarah Chalk, John C. McGinley, Neil Flynn, Judy Reyes. Show creator Bill Lawrence, editors, writers, and even prop masters will tell us about what inspired the series and how we became a family. You can listen to the podcast Fake Doctors, Real Friends with Zach and Donald on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. You've probably always wanted to learn an instrument, right? Let Musician be your guide. It is an amazing app that is your personal music tutor. It's the best way to learn, practice, and master an instrument, and it listens to you play and gives you feedback in real time on your accuracy and your timing. Become the musician you've always wanted to be. Visit musician.com slash words to try Musician with a 20% discount using the code words. This thing is amazing. Try it out. You'll love it. Merch Table was founded by artists just like you. We've slept on floors, played for everyone and no one, broken up, gotten back together, and taken everything we learned along the way to build a group of people who put creativity first so you can play while we work. Visit MerchTable.com to learn more about our merchandising and online store solutions. Howdy, everybody. How are you doing? I'm Ray Harkins. You are here at 100 Words or Less, the podcast. Welcome. Dive back into the, uh, you know, 300 some odd episodes we have previous to this, because that's what I'm finding out more and more that, uh, you know, people come to this for a certain guest and then they start to dive back and then they email the show a hundred words podcast at gmail.com for those of you that don't know. And, uh, they just love the treasure trove of, of guests that I've previously had on. And I, I know myself, like if I wasn't doing this show and I found this show, I'd be so stoked. But anyways, I digress. You are here to listen to conversations about independent music with specific people who are creating it or responsible for putting it out or documenting it in some capacity. And we have this week Arun Bali from Saves a Day. He is a guitarist for Saves a Day. He's uh, what I affectionately call as the new guy. We actually joke about it at the, the very top of the episode because he's the band, been in the band for over 10 years now, and uh, he's still referred to as the new guy. <laughs> But uh, it was a great, great chat, and more on that in a moment. Let's talk about rockabilly.com. You need to go there to get 10% off and use the code PCJabberJaw. So use that code, gets you 10% off, and you can get anything you want there from hoodies to long sleeves, short sleeves, beanies, posters, whatever it is, they got it, fast shipping, all 100% licensed from the band. So the bands get paid for this stuff. It's all above the board so you are not going to these horrible horrible knockoffs on you know amazon or ebay or whatever it's just it's a nightmare so don't do that go to rockabilly.com buy the real deal and you will be extremely extremely happy with what you get i've gotten multiple pieces of merch from them and it's nothing but the best so thank you very much for your continued support rockabilia and use that code pc jabberjaw for 10 percent off I also have to tell you about uh, some shows i went to recently because uh, i think they are important in their own rights architects the uh, band, the whatever, metal, hardcore, rock, hybrid band from the UK. I've uh, known these guys for many, many years, and I'm excited to see their trajectory and their growth. And uh, I mean, I can recall their first US tour was, you know, probably playing in front of, uh, I don't know, 20 some odd people a night. And uh, they were stoked. They were so happy to be there. I mean, granted, they, uh, you know, are, are much 
uh, I guess more comfortable, uh, playing in front of, you know, a thousand plus people <laughs> at the house of blues Anaheim where I saw them. And it was just, uh, it's heartening when you get to see a band put in a ton of hard work and then, uh, you know, achieve success. It's so, so cool. So congrats to the architects guys. And if that tour is coming through your area, you should go see that because, uh, it's an incredible tour. You know, they got huge production and, uh, they play for a long time, like hour and a half. It's really, really good. So anyways, but what I really wanted to discuss with you is knock loose. I saw knock loose at the glass house on that. It's like a Casey strain and harm's way and higher power and sanction. And then they have a local band every night. It was a very good tour. I was looking forward to watching knock loose because I had never seen them before. And they're, you know, they're a little lightning rod for a controversy where a lot of people think they're, you know, children ripping off the bands that came before them, which frankly we all do to some extent. So, you know, I don't, I don't find that criticism valid in any capacity, but, uh, in watching them and watching how excited everybody was about the show and just the general enthusiasm, it made me so happy for the future of hardcore and, um, just, how and it's crazy too because this band is doing you know massive massive things as far as like the tours that they're doing and the people that they're reaching and uh you know i actually told both uh brian the vocalist and isaac the guitarist that they in my opinion they're like the total gateway band now you know where it's like for the next three to five years so many people are going to reference them getting into hardcore via knock loose you know like that's their jumping off point and then hopefully kids you know look around more see the shirts that the guys are wearing on stage and it's just you know it's a beautiful beautiful thing so for those of you that sit back and look at knock loose and are just saying they're um, you know posers or whatever i you know i'm not going to pretend to know all of the criticisms of the band um just stop it that's, uh, in my opinion, like we're, I'm old, I'm very old. I'm 38 years old. I'm still going to shows because I still enjoy it. Um, but I think a lot of people that are older tend to look at their time as like the, you know, the glory days and oh man, things were so good back then. Um, but just open up your eyes because there are thing, incredible things that are happening now with the same sort of energy. And yes, it's different than what you maybe experienced when you were 20, 21 years old but that doesn't make it any less valid. And, uh, for the old people being like, Oh, it, sh- it should always be like what it was, you know, that's just, that's, it's change. That's just old people thought. And I don't think you need to live in that world. So anyways, I'll get off my little soapbox, but I just want you to know that there's great things going on in music. And that's why I do this show. It's not just to talk to people who I have personally respected for many, many years, which that happens a lot of the time, but then it's also to talk to people who are much younger than me and discussing cool things about what it is they're doing. So there we go. Arun from Saves the Day was such a great chat because we had uh, many, many mutual friends kind of throwing us together and being like, oh yeah, you should talk to each other and you should know each other. And then finally it happened for this podcast. Uh, he took time out of his day on tour, which was great. And I appreciate that very, very much. And we talked about a lot of stuff. So here it is. So I won't, uh, you know, belabor me talking about why hardcore is still important. <laughs> All right, here's a rune. I'll talk to you after the episode is over. You know, I find it funny because, you know, most people refer to you as, uh, you know, the new guy in the band, which is like h- hilarious. Forever the new guy? Yeah, exactly. 10 years, yeah. the new guy. A decade, a decade later. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, but then, you know, you are, uh, you know, what most people would define as like, you know, a, a journeyman within the, uh, the context of, uh, you know, playing in independent music where it's like, yeah, you've been in saves a day, but like, you know, you help out friends in so many different instances from Craig, Craig Finn and everything else. Um, mm-hmm. 
So I, I mean, I presume on one hand, it's really funny to still be considered like the new guy, or is that even something that, that kind of pops up still, or is that just something that, you know, people joke around about? It definitely, it definitely does. I mean, sometimes (laughs) it's jest, and other times it's like, oh, like how long have you been in the band? Like, like, like it's like a recent thing and I'm, I'm three records in and (laughs) 10 years. So, um, surely it doesn't feel like the new guy, but, uh, I get it. Like, uh, I heard Derek Green when he was doing Alkaline Trio, and uh, he would tell me the same thing. Like, it doesn't matter how many records I've been on, I'm still the music drummer in Alkaline Trio. Right. Yeah. 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 It's like if you, if you're not, you know, the original member that started, you know, within the first year of the band, it's just like, Oh yeah, you're like yeah. The, the newest guy. It's like, well, not really. I mean, but I also, I understand it from the perspective of there have been, um, a lot of lineup changes and, you know, but the other thing to consider is that we, this has been the same lineup for probably the longest. It is the longest stretch of the same lineup. Yeah. Totally. Dennis, Dennis, our drummer, joined in like I think 2013, and uh, Rod joined like maybe eight months or just just shy of a year after I did. So, um, so yeah, it's it's been the same group pretty consistently, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, but I think people, I you know, people still remember like from say what you know from it'd be cool to say what you are to like you know in Reverie like there was a lot of a lot of turnover and a lot of things changing. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, and you know, kind of putting the, the, the focus on you, you were, I know you were born in the, uh, Detroit, uh, area, Detroitish area. Were, were you in the suburbs or were you actually in the city? I was in the suburbs. Um, yeah, born and raised. I lived in Detroit for a little bit. Um, and then I lived just outside of Detroit before I moved to Nashville, um, seven years ago. But yeah, I love being from Detroit. Um, kind of wear it on my sleeve a little bit yeah <laughs> too much maybe but um yeah anytime this was a you know i it was like a life like you know living living in nashville is a little more what i'm looking for out of life but you know i get back to michigan detroit whenever i can and i love what's what's happening there for sure yeah well I, I mean i understand why you would wear it in your sleeve because it's you know when people are from you know when people are from like you know la or new york or whatever it's like there are certain sort of commonalities that most people uh, understand being the case but like when you are born in other places that you know have a reputation beyond just like oh yeah like you know entertainment capitals of the world or whatever uh, people are like sure. so what like you know detroit most people know it's just like oh yeah the the city that you know kind of rotted for a long time and then now is on the up and up up and like you know it, it uh you gotta wear the thing it is, it's been on the up and up for quite a while right um, but you know when you when you you know a thing that was really popular for a while was like ruin porn which is like you know just like detroit had a lot of great architecture but there's a lot of like urban decay with some of those buildings and like you know so a big thing was like photographers would go take pictures of of these dilapidated buildings that were once like you know amazing structures and um, so then I think a lot of that, you see, you know, Detroit gets like lumped into this thing of urban decay, uh, and less about like, well, there's a lot of good shit happening too. I mean, not the, not the, the, the stuff that's bad is like not a problem, but, um, yeah, there's some great stuff too. So, and I feel like now the attention is focusing a little more on that, at least from my perspective, it seems like the sort of ruined one thing is like. It's like, okay, we get it, <laughs> you know? Totally. Yeah. It's, it, I mean, and there is something to be said about the idea of, 
being in a city where, um, you know, people have, you know, fled in numbers for a variety of different reasons, but then you have this burgeoning, mm-hmm. uh, community of people where it's just like, Oh dude, I can rent a, you know, studio space for a hundred dollars a month and be able to like, you know, create this weirdo outsider art. And then like that starts to, you know, obviously compound year over year. And then you get this really interesting, yeah, think- you know, you get this really interesting pastiche of people that, uh, travel to a place like that. Yeah, for sure. I think um, a city like Detroit, especially for an artist, uh, I think you nailed that word. You know, for a time, and I I don't know about now, I know like people are sort of catching on and people are moving back into the city and buying condos and townhouses and and spending money and there's a lot of cool development going on. Um, You know, cool depending on your point of view, I guess, but um, because some of my friends will be like, I hate what's happening. I'm like, all right, well, People are spending money again, so that's cool. Um, but for for you're right, like people were moving there because you know, like it was a little more affordable, and like you can um, you can fail, you can go there and like fail and fail again, and you know, keep trying to get better. And you know, it wasn't like you're paying like New York rent or you know, Bay Area rent or something. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, it's so like you would. It did. It did allow a lot of people to like go and like make mistakes and. Sure. So gave them the, gave them the runway for that. But um, and mm-hmm. your uh, your your family structure like mom and dad in the house and the older brother. Did you have any other siblings or no? Just my older brother. Yeah. Um, and uh, they're also you know they're still in Michigan. Um, I uh, I moved to Nashville about it'll be seven years uh, in June. Right. Right. Just crazy to think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're like oh, it's almost uh, yeah, it's almost ten years. Almost as long as you've been in the band. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And the, uh, well, I, I guess what, uh, you know, what landed your parents in Detroit to begin with and kind of where, you know, why they planted roots there? Well, so I'm, I'm first generation American. So my brother was born in India and I think my, my father, um, who passed away when I was like 12, but when he wanted, he wanted to open, get into business and he was an engineer. And, you know, I think with just some of the automotive opportunities, um, it just, they ended up in Detroit. They were first in Chicago um, when my brother was really little and then came to Detroit and then I was born. And so, yeah, it's been, they've been there ever since. Um, that makes sense. You know, talk about moving because like that, those winters aren't getting easier. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I've lost my thick skin for it. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, once you're out of it for like six months then you're just like, how did I even live here before? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> And so that, that was your, was your mom basically at home taking care of you guys? Yeah, we owned, um, we owned a, a, a banquet hall. So my, we had this, um, my dad had a, like an engineering company, like a firm. And then we also had another business where we had a banquet hall. And so my mom was basically like a wedding planner slash like proprietor of this like banquet hall that we had for my entire childhood, really. Um, uh, up until maybe... I'd say like the mid nineties or something and she hasn't really had to work since. So, um, but yeah, I mean, she was like, you know, homemaker and then 
took over that part of the business and, and did really well doing that. She actually nice she's really good at that job now. Yeah, no, that's really that's that's cool. Um, yeah, and you're uh, you know from what I've I've gathered from you know previous interviews and the way you've spoken about your uh, you know older brother is that you know he was kind of the the first person that sort of exposed you to you know rock music and the idea of you know playing guitar well, and stuff. Yeah, like I mean you know my first records were shot at the devil in 1984 and you know solely because of him you know so yeah I got exposed to like. Zeppelin, uh, really early on, ACTC, Van Halen. Um, and then he bought, I, when I was like five, I was like taking piano lessons, but all I wanted to do was play a guitar. Um, I probably told the story a, a bunch, but like, you know, I saw the Hopper teacher video and I was like, well, I don't know what's going on, but that's what I want to do. Right. Um, right. <laughs> I was like, in, I was like a, in, in kindergarten and I was already like kind of struggling. Like I had this teacher that was like, whatever reason she just, I just remember her being brutal to me and um, yeah she just had it out for me for some reason yeah um, that, and that's weird in like I asked yeah I asked about that years later where I was like you know um, was that just me or was she just a pain in my ass and, and like my brother and my mom was like no that woman sucked <laughs> like <laughs> she hated you for some reason um, yeah that's really there was a letter that like there's a letter that my dad had written her, like, because she was, like, saying that, like, all this stuff about, like, my scholastic, um, I think she was talking about, like, uh, you know, that I had these, like, learning disabilities, and, and, you know, maybe some of those were true, I don't know, but, like, my dad was just like, like, go fuck yourself. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? So, yeah, that's, that's basically what this letter was like. Sure. talking about my kid like that again, I'm, you know. <laughs> that's just not gonna end well. So yeah, um, dude, that's what that's. Uh, that is, that is, I I just was so, was so like, really early on. I just was like captivated by like the electric guitar. So when I was eight, finally got a guitar um, for a birthday, and for my eighth birthday, my brother, I think my brother actually bought me the guitar. But for like the first couple of years, he was like, "Oh, yeah, well, I'm gonna play it. I want to play guitar." So you know, he would like play that thing all the time, and then he would buy like you know, this was like the, this was '80s, so like you know we didn't have the internet and YouTube, and like he'd buy guitar magazines, and he was buying all this like cool gear and all that stuff. And so like when he would go to work or school or something, I'd just like go in the room and I'd like read guitar magazines and like try to like you know learn how to read tab pretty early on and try to just like remember the stuff he was learning and then just try to like photographically play it later. Um, and he just, he was just, he learned some cool stuff pretty early on. So that was certainly an advantage I had, um, in playing guitar, you know, by the time I was like 15 and playing in bands, I'd already been playing for like seven, eight years. Yeah. So yeah, that's no, that's cool. And so, it's, yeah, he had a huge he had a huge influence on that though. Sure, absolutely. And so it sounds like the um, the you know once you got bitten by the music bug, like you know, I mean, like did you? you know, I guess did your schooling uh, improve over time? You know, like was it one of those things where you like you were just like, nah? I mean, I'm gonna kind of skate through and just you know do whatever. But like music, I gotta I gotta crack I this code. I I could have done better, but I, you know. I didn't do, I wasn't the worst student. So 
Um, in hindsight, yeah, I'd probably let some things go by the wayside because I was just like, especially like in high school, like when bands started happening, um, you know, the bug, the, the bug took over. And, sure. Yeah. And here I am. Yeah, right, 40. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so. um, in a world where everyone is confined to their homes, society begins its largest bin watch to date. In the hallowed library of Hulu, or perhaps on a shelf of DVDs you haven't looked at in a decade, is a show that perfectly encapsulates life in the early aughts and launched a friendship that would inspire millions. Hi, I'm Zach Braff. And I'm Donald Faison. In 2001, we starred in Scrubs, a sitcom that revealed a glimpse of what it was like to survive a medical internship. As Turk and JD, we explored guy love. Nearly 20 years later, a lot has changed. We're not supermen, but we're still best friends. Eh. Given the mandatory lockdown, there's no better time to relive the series that brought us together in the first place. And we're doing it with a podcast. That's right, people. We're going to bring friends and crew members and fellow cast members and writers. And and guess what? We're going to even invite some of you to call into the podcast and ask all the questions you want of the entire Sacred Heart staff. Join us for Fake Doctors, Real Friends on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. And so what, you know, from, this is me kind of making, you know, conjecture about the fact that, you know, you've collaborated with, you know, a ton of different people across a ton of different genres of music, you know, all falling kind of Mm -hmm. under the, you know, independent umbrella. Um, But you know, the, the, the estimation that I'm making is that, you know, you're a generally, you know, like well-to-do guy where it's just like, you know, people aren't going out on a limb and saying like, Oh, dude, a rune is like the worst, like don't work with him. You know, like <laughs> were you kind of that guy that, you know, as you were, you know, developing an identity in junior high and high school, like, were you able to kind of like ebb and flow between, you know, groups of friends and stuff like that? Or did you have kind of a, a sector of kids that you hung out with the most? It was in high school. I went to a really, really big high school. It was like 5,000 kids there. Um, it was like a small college campus. In fact, it was like two high, high schools and you could have built, uh, classes in both buildings. Um, and that's where I actually met Rodrigo. Um, we met in driver's ed and like we had our group of like, you know, punk friends that we would hang out with and like, you know, a lot of, you know, kind of meeting other people that were musicians and, um, we definitely had like our own little clique of people and that's also how I'm kind of into like punk rock and like, you know, feeling the sense of community. Cause you know, like up until high school, like, you know, I was definitely like a big John kid. I was the only Indian kid in like a, you know, sea of white people. And like, you know, I was skinny and just like weird and gangly looking at it. And I was a really target. Um, so yeah, I, I, um, but as far as like guitar playing and I'm like, I always really, um, and I think a lot of it, just having an early start with it, um, I kind of just developed a reputation early as like somebody that's, you know. Yeah, you're the guitar dude. Doing that. Yeah. 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 You're the. No. Right. <laughs> it is, and it is funny too, especially when you're talking about it from the perspective. I, I wasn't fucking. Yeah. People knew that I wasn't fucking around. Right. <laughs> no, totally. And honestly, I think it's one of those things too, when you are, you know, a non white person like playing an instrument and like, you know, attracted to, you know, a particular style of music, it's always, you know, interesting just because, you know, 
generically speaking, you know, whatever playing in bands, getting interested in music is kind of part and parcel of your, your white suburb experience. And so like when a person like yourself who looks like you do being like, Oh, like, Oh dude, a rune, like, you know, just like loves guitars, like love, love Zeppelin, like just loves to shred. Um, and so I'm mm-hmm. sure that in many respects that also it kind of stood you out amongst your, your, like you said, your kind of, you know, sea of white peers, so to speak. Yeah. Oh, totally. You know, kid with the weird name that plays guitar. Right. Hard to miss. <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, that's stuck funny. out like a stuck out quite, you know, yeah, quite a lot. Well, and especially too, yeah, quite a lot. I mean, part of the, uh, you know, I mean, more people know now about the kind of, you know, Indian culture and upbringing from a lot of the pop culture artifacts that we have, um, you know, whether it's yeah, you know, Aziz Azari's, you know, the, the show on Netflix and stuff like that, sure. but like the, um, you know, most uh, of the experience that I imagine that, you know, you like the ha- first time I went to a yoga class and the teacher looked at me after she said namaste and I'm like, yeah, you said it right. It's cool. Right. <laughs> <laughs> totally. But like, was there, I guess, you know, as you were getting consumed by music, was there a pressure at all from your parents who you know were oh totally okay yeah. um, were they just like what like, are you doing Arun well there's there's like the sort of like especially like relatives in India that don't understand certain like oh you know you gotta finish your study and you know get married and have kids and like they you know understanding like what I was doing was and it's not that they weren't supportive in fact I that's it's you know I think that they're you know they were always just concerned for my, my well-being and, and just wanting to do well. And, you know, but as like any, like my mom, you know, she's definitely got some Western tendencies now, but like, you know, there's still like stuff about it. She's just like, you know, simple like desires of her kids getting married and having their own kids. And yeah, I don't know. I think she thinks that sometimes it's just, it's insane what I'm doing and sure. she's not wrong. <laughs> she, you know, totally. But I also, but I seem to be thrive. I thrive in it and the chaos. So I don't think that that's always easy for people to understand. Like, you know, um, yeah, I mean, I do this whenever like people are like, should I be a musician? And I always say, well, if you have to ask that, if you should be an artist or something that you either, or you are, or you aren't. And something, and it's always for better or for worse. So sure. I accepted that pretty early on and uh, that's not like I've done bad for myself by any means, but you know, there's still like anything, there's peaks and valleys. So. Yeah. Well, and you also have to look at it from the perspective of if a person decides to center their life around a thing, whether it's, you know, a family job or whatever, I mean, you're pulled in a million different directions as a human, but like when you kind of mm-hmm. dedicate your life to a creative lifestyle, you're like, well, it doesn't matter how like well I am doing from your stereotypical comparisons of like, oh, you know, white picket fence and, you know, a hundred K a year or whatever. You're just like, well, I like, I'll, I'll find a way to make a living, but like, at the core of it, I'm always going to be doing this thing that I like to do, which is playing guitar. And like, that's the core of it. You know? I had a, I had a moment like in my late twenties where I had to walk away. I was just, there just, um, I just didn't know what else to do with it. And I was just, you know, kind of a little, I got a little creative. I mean, I didn't sell off all my gear. I have friends that did that, but, and then there's probably a part of me like down that I was like, Oh, I'll be back. But you know, I needed to kind of like see what else was out there. And, uh, and as I started, like, so I was playing in some bands then, and I, I got to the point where I was like, you know what, how can I just do this where I don't, I can do it myself? Because I'm not, like, the 
singer, songwriter, troubadour type guy. I mean, I write, I compose and I write stuff, but I'm, you know, I can't just go out with an acoustic guitar. Like that's just not my thing. Um, so at one point I was going to move to Los Angeles and just do like be a session guitar player. Like there were some opportunities that were, and I was getting into composing um, for commercials. So I had some opportunities like that that were revealing themselves. And then uh, I think I was like a month away from moving to LA. And then I get a phone call from the old Save the Day drummer who I knew from previous bands. And my name got dropped in a conversation in Australia and they were looking for a guitar player. So I get a call and here we are 10 years later, <laughs> you know? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the path. Yeah, so it was just like, yeah. So, um, you know, I think for me, it's like just always found a way to like, just kind of keep moving forward and then allow myself to like, you know, let, let the universe reveal certain things and, and maybe make the path a little clearer as, as abstract and hippie as that sounds, but yeah. you know, so, yeah, no, there, well, there's only, there's only so much that, you know, we as humans think that we can control when in reality, like we control s- such, t- so little. <laughs> so yeah. It's, no, and that's a good, that's a really good point. Like, you know, all I can control, like, what can I control? I can control my craft. I can control like wanting to be like a certain type of guitar player. Like that's entirely in my control. Um, how much I practice or whatever. I mean, the things that are not about to go are like how other people might perceive things. And, and so I've gotten good at like not concerning myself with the things that are just like, that I can't do anything about, you know? Yeah. Oh no. It makes, it makes total sense. Um, I think that's helped with the longevity. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and so as you, what was your kind of intro to, you know, the more independent side of things like, you know, the punk and hardcore DIY shows and stuff like that. And I presume, you know, you started going to shows like St. Andrew's hall and stuff like that. So you know? I was, I was just like a classic rock guy and like prog rock guy. Uh-huh. I was getting into like jazz and some stuff like in middle school, but like, uh, in ninth grade, um, I met Rodrigo. We had a driver and driver met together. Um, and he had just moved to Michigan from New York. And, you know, uh, the funny thing about that was like the first year he would like sit at our lunch table and, uh, our, 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 <laughs> he's sitting across from me right now on the other side of this cafeteria. And I'm waiting for him to hear this. <laughs> Look up. He's talking about this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so our, our relationship was basically like, Hey man, are you going to eat those tater tots? And he'd be like, nah. And he just gave them to me. So for a whole year, that was the extent of our conversations. The following summer, we were in driver's ed together and um, just kind of bonded over music. And he was like, he grew up in like, you know, he was from New York and got into like New York hardcore and stuff. And so we, we kind of just strung on the driver's ed teacher. We were just like, you know, we're going to put shit, we're going to play music while we're driving. And uh, so we were both bringing in mixtapes. And one of the first ones he brought in was like a 108, like a 108 tape. <laughs> Dude, and, uh, how, how, punishing, and was, how punishing is that for the driver? That's so, I can't even believe you guys were able to pull that off. It's amazing. That guy, that guy spent the entire time just counting roadkill. I don't think he was all there, to be honest. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> that guy was, so, so, and for me, like, I was like, what are these, like, why are these white kids chanting Hare Krishna? This is oh, funny. <laughs> sure. Well, that, that, is, a huge, that you know? is a huge exposure for you. Where so, you're just like, like, yeah, I know so this thing. Now, What's this happening? Yeah. You know, like, am I at a function? Like, am I you know, eight years old? And like, yeah. So, like, 
uh, I just was like, what is, what's going on? And then, I don't know, I just kind of, I got into it. Like, I got into that. I got into, like, quick command. And, um, you know, I think I heard man, slip and manic compression kind of around the same time. But, like, 95, I think manic compression came out. Um, and got into, like, post-hardcore stuff, like, Orange 9mm and, like, Civ. And then that took me back to, like, where those bands came from, like, Gorilla Biscuits. And um, so... And for me, just like some of the struggles that I was having, like kind of figure out where I belong. For me, punk and hardcore wasn't really about like the music so much as it was um, the community. And sort of like, there was a, always a progressiveness to it that I just was like, cause like when I was in high school, like I didn't want to drink. I didn't want to be like, I played sports, but I like, I always hated everybody on my team. Like I made my high school basketball team and I went to the first practice and I was just like, fuck this. Yeah. You're like, nah, and, uh, I'm cool. Never went back. I just played, I just went and played rec ball. Um, so like, but yeah, punk and hardcore sort of gave me this community and, um, sure. You understood, it was weird. You understood it in a different way than, you know, cause I, I that, that is, yeah. I think you hit on a real pivotal thing that you can't, you can't really um, vocalize until you're older because you have more perspective, but it's like, yeah, you get to plug into this like sort of, you know, pseudo secret society that is a community that is doing something, you know, that's ostensibly cool by most people's, you know, most peer standards, like, Oh, playing in bands or whatever. And so I, I totally get what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. So, and that just, you know, that was the thing. Like I was a community that I could just get into and start playing bands and doing stuff. And like, you know, then being rock started a band together. We were reminiscing about that band recently. We think we invent, we may have invented new metal. Not entirely sure, but. But <laughs> yeah, like, but you can, right, right. Can you please, can you please tell me the name of the first band and I'll, I, I can define whether or not you started new metal. We were called Fish Guy. Ooh, Fish Guy. Like, like yeah. fish and a guy. Mm-hmm. Okay, that- because his, his brother's his brother's nickname was Fish, and because uh, he was a swimmer, and like we just kind of took his name and added a suffix to it, and ended up with that. I, I just kept it. I like. I I mean, I I can I can see. I say that we invented new metal very jokingly, by the way. No, um, I, I understand. I understand the sarcasm, but the also wouldn't be proud. Of- <laughs> <laughs> well, dude, you should be. I mean, especially if you were. You know, I mean, that first corn record is sick. So don't even don't don't front. Right. Um, well, we talk about that record because, like, you know, uh, we remember like um, there was a show that was like sick of it all in Orange Nine Millimeter at St Andrews Hall, and the opening band was Corn. And like we both, we bought the tape and we're like, you know, cause that was the thing you did. Like, Oh, they're on tour with this band or like doing this. Let's go check that out. Like that's how you discovered music back then. And uh, we bought the tape. Well, this is actually like really cool. Like, well, this is like, weird. And we just assumed they were like hardcore kids just writing this like weird shit. And we saw like a video and we're just like, Ooh, that's, that's not a good look. Yeah. That's a, that's, a, that's something <laughs> different. Yeah. They don't, they don't necessarily come from a scene. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. so as you started to kind of like, you know, play in bands and play shows and, you know, kind of have your first, I touring, can't wait for the backlash for me not being a corn fan. No, you're fine, dude. You, no, you were, you were, I know, I'm just kidding. I know you were a fan of it musically, just aesthetically. It did not float your boat. And I get that. I understand. <laughs> Um, well, yeah, and there was, you know, probably like, you know, some of the in my first one. Ab- dude, self-titled is a, 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 yeah, I stand by that record. There's even some good tracks off Life is Peachy as well. So yeah, we're good. Um, so I, but from there, like then it just, it sort of snowballed from there. So then I got, um, uh, 
There was a band. Do you remember the band Handsome? Dude, do I remember the band Handsome? Unbelievable. I saw them once. Yeah, great fucking band. I saw them once. They played, yeah, they played in, uh, I, they, they, I want to say I saw them at the San Bernardino, uh, like epicenter. I don't know, somewhere, somewhere in the Inland Empire here in Southern California. They played with uh, it was Handsome, uh, Strife, Descendants, and uh, but yeah, Handsome stuck out yeah. with a sore thumb. But they were so good. That was that like some that was like I remember that tour. Yeah, um, yeah. So I met Tom Capone when I was fifteen. At like one of the first times I saw Quicksand, and like you know. I used to send them letters and stuff. And then we just kind of became friends and like when handsome, when he started that band and they come play Detroit, he would invite me to the show and I got to meet all those guys. And then the bass player from handsome, Eddie Nappy told me to check out this record called either or by Elliot Smith. Okay. And then, and then everything changed. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I mean, I like it, uh, yeah, so that opened a, a door to music. I was already I was a Beatles fan and stuff, but like I feel like my love of the Beatles like grew because I heard this like beautiful like almost like a this modern version of this in this guy's songs, and you know from there I got into like more indie stuff like I was into the Cardigans and like you know I don't know I got more into like you know the kind of J Tree kind of world and sure. Um, yeah, you see, and then Britpop, and then I and then I got me in a somehow like my all this just you you start you, you, my mind started to open up to like all these other things because for so long I just wanted to do something that was like technically gratifying and like musically like just interesting and weird. Um, when I still want to do it, but like getting into LA Smith got me into like songwriting. Sure, got me into like you know a way of like, right. You know, cause he writes these things that are just like beautifully simple, but like uh, deceptively complex. Yeah. That well, makes sense. No, totally. I, I like no, it. Not, any, not any idiot can pick up a guitar and play those <laughs> some fine guitar playing. Yeah. Um, no, I, so I totally, I, I get, I, I appreciate that, that, uh, specificity or that's not, that's not even a word. I, I, I tripped across that, but just the idea of the, the, the specific, yeah, the specificness <laughs> of that thought yeah. where you kind of transition from this person who, you know, likes aggressive music and likes all the energy that's around that. And then realizes that like, you can kind of craft your own song. It doesn't have to be aggressive, but like just the understanding of the principles of behind of, of that. I think that's a really, uh, that's a key component that I think, you know, people unlock in a variety yeah. of different ways. I didn't want to sound like King Crimson and Dream Theater anymore. Right. Um, yeah. And yeah, then I got, right. like, I had an ex-girlfriend that got me into, like, she was a huge Blur fan and Pulp. And then then I got into, like, like Oasis and, you know, New Order. And just and then that opened up a whole new thing. And then Shoegaze. And then uh, started buying effects pedals. It's just funny, like, you know, yeah, just one one thing sort of just led to like all these different like branches of music um and i love that like my my upbringing was in a very like sort of complex like technical way because i feel like i got a lot of that stuff like the stuff that i want to do i can do i can get from my head to like my hands a lot quicker because i, I spent time like really like the working on the instrument and like, yeah, the chop. I still practice. I still have a routine that I go through and stuff, you know, but 
yeah. I like to spend more time on just like craft of like songs and like composing, you know, do other music for TV and commercial and stuff. And, um, you know, I've been working on other songs and, uh, you know, being in a creative thing. So it's funny, just, yeah, starting from, you know, thinking of, I guess there's just stuff I haven't really thought about in a while. So it's funny to talk about it. Yeah. Hey, hey man. Welcome. Welcome to this podcast, my friend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, you know, kind of looking at your experience, like once you started to, you know, get out there and, you know, play more actively in bands and, you know, kind of have your first touring experiences, like, did you, um, did you, I mean, I know you were still doing it. You were currently on tour. Um, you know, how has your relationship kind of, uh, you know, changed over time to touring? Like, did you initially like it and then grow to dislike it in certain respects or how, how has your, uh, relationship changed? Um, I still really enjoy it. Uh, there's my, my willingness for, for certain things is different, but, um, sure. I still like being out here and doing it. There's, there's something just still like primal about it to me. <laughs> You know, yeah, the, you know, well, you, you did mention earlier, it's like you, you do thrive off the kind of chaos. So I understand that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, even in like situations where it's more comfortable and I, and I still do situations where it's a little, little more of a grind, but you know, it's just the trade off. It's just like, what are you willing to do? Like, if you want to do this thing, then it requires this and this. And so am I willing to do that for this? You know, it's like, you know, people are like, what's being on tour? Like, well, it's 23 hours of bullshit for like one fun hour (laughs) totally a whole lot of waiting you know and like and and i think music and being an artist in general whether you're a painter or like an actor or whatever musician especially like a lot of it is just you're just doing the work and just waiting for a moment like waiting for that moment that you're like oh this is why i do this and don't don't always happen every day um but when they do they're special Mm -hmm. so yeah you know i still try to find this like you know, there is still like a little altruistic uh, <laughs> approach to all of this. Hi, I'm Esther Dean, and I'm excited to welcome you to a brand new season of Songland and Songland's podcast. We have an amazing roster of talent this season. I promise you, you don't want to miss one single episode. Don't miss Songland Monday nights at 10, 9 central on NBC. And join us here on Songland's podcast, available every week after the show on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I mean, and the reason I kind of asked that question is because, you know, there is that youthful, uh, innocence of like when you first get in the van and that whole notion of the romanticism of the road. Um, but you know, you know, clearly as you get older and your life changes, um, you know, in other ways, your relationship with that, that changes. But like, I like that notion of just kind of focusing on, you know, those, those moments and those things where it's like, Oh yeah, like that's, that is why I ultimately get up on stage and, and, and play this guitar in front of people. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's the other part of it too, where, you know, especially like early 20, like when I was like in my early twenties or whatever, and like, you know, you go out and you party and all that, like now there's more like attention. Like I'm not trying to come out here and just destroy my body, you know? Um, so I do spend a lot of time like on the road, like trying to take care of myself because, you know, it doesn't get easier the older you get. So, um, you know, yeah, if I want to continue to do this, I just can't be like raging every night. Um, <laughs> totally. 
so I've learned a little, you know, because it is is work too, you know. Like I have an obligation to like the people that come to see us. So you know, but at the same time, like I want, you know, I do this because it's fucking fun. So like I'm gonna have a good time. So yeah, it's just finding the balance of all of it, you know. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. But I still enjoy it. I still enjoy it. I mean, there are you know, there's there's tours where I'm like, oh, I don't know if I do this anymore, and then like there's another next tour where I'm like, man, still love it. Right. Yeah. Totally. It changed. I was like in Portland for two days and I got to catch up with like so many friends, but you know, it's hard. And and I'm lucky that in a situation where I get to go and do it like this, you know, my work is sort of taking me there. And yeah, I don't know. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. There's still still a lot of positives. It's still enjoyable. You know, if it's not, at this point, if it wasn't, then I, I wouldn't, I don't need to do it. Sure. Absolutely. Um, yeah. What, um, you know, kind of along the lines of your, um, you know, because you've collaborated with so many people, um, I guess what in your personality kind of, um, makes it easy for you to either work with other people or the fact that other people, I guess, you know, seek you out to want to work with you and stuff like that. I just think, um, well, me wanting to work with other people is like just, you know, I just, I just like the opportunity to like help to just create something with, with various people. And like, I don't think there's, for me, there's never going to be one thing that sort of tickles every pitch for me. Um, and I like situations where maybe I'm taken out of my comfort zone and forced to think of things in a different way. You know, the way I play with Craig is way different than I, not way different, but, you know, I approach it a little different than, say, what I do with, like, Saves the Day or other things. So, um, Josh from Queens of the Stone Age once had a quote about, like, you know, they talk about their lineup changes a lot and how there will never be, like, another U2 where it's just the four guys. Um, and you just sort of, like, enjoy your time that you spend with each of these people at the altar of rock and roll. And I just thought that was, like, beautifully poignant and uh i kind of i agree like i'm just like i just like you know not everything situation is going to last forever um and i just try to enjoy each thing for what it is in my time sure you know that specific thing so um and i think maybe people that want to work with me maybe recognize that or see that in a way where it's like well maybe i can challenge them so, right. Yeah. It's the, the, so the, I think the it's reciprocal. Mutual. Yeah. 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 It's reciprocal. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, and like, you know, touring with Craig, I learned, you know, like I learned things about being a guitar player in that situation, how I approach things. And, um, and he's also just such a, like a consummate professional. Like he's just, um, he's just so on the ball with things, but also like such a great, pain and super smart. There's just never a dull moment. And, uh, when it's time to go to work, he's like, he's ready to go. Um, and never complains, you know, never, you know, so it's, it's cool. Like I, I really enjoyed getting to do that with him. That doesn't, you know, and that's a different situation for me than like saves a day. I have a lot more responsibility than saves a day. So, so sometimes it's fun to just go out and be a guitar player. I don't mind those responsibilities and say it's cause you know, 
it allows us to keep doing it. Sure. So, well, and you're, you're the new guy, so you got to lift more. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know the. Uh, Go to the last again. Exactly. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> you've uh, like you like you mentioned in uh, you know earlier where you know you've done a lot of work within the sort of you know commercial music world. You know, writing music for mm-hmm. obviously commercials and trailers and a bunch of other things. Um, the uh, the thing that I have noticed from people that kind of transition from you know our world of whatever punk hardcore whatever you want to call it, and then you know do this you have to see, you have to build like a, a thicker uh, skin or build a callus up for the preciousness of the music that you write, because you are, you know, literally writing to accommodate this, this, uh, you know, piece of, uh, you know, commercial art. Um, was that a, yeah, you nailed it. Right. It was, I mean, was um, that, a, was that a pretty you, big adjustment for you? Absolutely. Okay. I had to learn to let give, I had to learn to give less fucks. Um, I had to learn to not be so attached to things on an artistic level. Cause like when you're writing a jingle for Geico, that's not exactly high art. It's fun. And I do, I, I do learn a lot from getting to write like different styles of music. Cause if I'm writing for something where it's like, you know, the specific, like, you know, uh, a flamenco thing or whatever it is, I'm just immersing myself in this music for like a day or two and then trying to write something in that vein. So in that aspect, the craft of it, like I take pretty seriously and wanting to do a good job, so for that, I give all the fucks, but like, as far as like certain artistic things, I just, I've, I've, I the best advice I got was to like, learn how to just not yeah have a thicker skin about it. Cause like you deal with so much rejection in that world. Sure. Um, you know, I might write 20 tracks in a month and maybe I'll win one if it's, you know, maybe I won't you know it's just it's it and then maybe i'll win five you know it's just all it's crazy um but i do like it and i think it's it's definitely rounded out like certainly with financially for me um it allows me to do other things that i you know can just do more from a passionate standpoint and not have to think about the bills yeah no for sure you know just just out of curiosity because I, I find that whole world uh you know fascinating and i've had many friends work on a variety of different projects within the context of it um you know you don't need to name numbers but like what is the most i guess expensive project that you worked on from that perspective where you were just like oh yeah i supplied like a minute of worth of music and i can't even believe that like they paid you know th- that i got paid this this much money or whatever uh what's what's a project that kind of blew your mind from that perspective there's been a few like really big Geico camp. I was a staff composer at this company called Black Iris Music, um, and they were the ones that really gave me like the huge opportunity to like get into this world. Um, my best friend, one of my best friends, started the company, and we were in a band together uh, before I was in Saves, and um, he had started that company. It just sort of started to take off. So he, you know, I think he just really liked being home and doing that. And I couldn't begrudge him for that because it was doing really well. But he was uh, really supportive about bringing me on and, and, and getting me in that world. Um, so we've worked, as far as like big projects, so yeah, like some of that Geico stuff. I remember we were, we were working on some huge things. I was like, you know, doing stuff for like maybe Delta 
no that's that, that's cool i just always like yeah it is it is interesting when you you know you play in the i wrote a theme song for a nickelodeon show that was pretty fun oh wow what what's what show was it wally kazam oh dude that's sick <laughs> that's awesome yeah, yeah, there's, yeah. A, there's a song called uh it's not the main theme but there's a theme for like a new character called captain animal and i wrote that that's that that is it was uh, fun because the references the reference was like the team america theme might have like fuck yeah right uh, <laughs> like, um but like it was just like this kind of like almost like team america meets like the ramon sort of thing and it's just there's just days where like everything is clicking like i wrote it in like 20 minutes that's amazing and yeah and there's other things that i'll spend eight hours on it'll just be like a turd right but like there's just days where just like that one just just happened and that was and that was really and that one was particularly interesting because like you're writing you're also writing a vocal melody for like an eight-year-old to sing so you're like giving these parameters of like okay you can go from the one to the five so like from a c to a g and you can't you know you got to stick to just these like simple like movements because you know there's going to be a vocal coach that's going to teach the kids how to sing it and I was like, wow, that's, so yeah, that's interesting. I write this riff and I got to write this melody and make it interesting, but it's like really like this confined parameter. And I actually really like that. I like limitations I found. Sure. Well, it, it may, I mean, it makes deadline, right. It makes it easier to be directional. Like you get a, you know, a list of things and you're able to kind of focus on that. And yeah, I, I can understand that. There's a structure. Yeah. And sometimes that works out great and other times not so much, but, um, but yeah, that one was particularly, yeah, no, that's, <laughs> that, that's really cool. Um, and kind of, yeah. kind of on the sort of like, you know, the business side of things, uh, you know, because you, like you mentioned, you, you played in a lot of different bands and, you know, I'm sure you were booking shows and, you know, whatever, you know, collecting money at the end of the nights and stuff like that. And then, you know, clearly joining saves a day was, you know, already a operational business at that point. Um, and then, you know, mm-hmm. doing the commercial work and stuff like that, you know, have you always been, I guess, comfortable with the sort of, uh, you know, industry slash uh, business side of the music, or is that something that you had to kind of grow to, um, you know, appreciate and understand more, or is it something that you're just like, well, it's a necessary evil or what's your relationship with it? Uh, it's a little all of the above, man. Like, I mean, I think there's, there's like, you know, I always like sort of appreciate the hustle and I just try to do it in a way that's not like, I try to do it in a way that doesn't feel like sleazy or like, you know, disingenuous. Um, you know, like most of the relationships that I have with people like in the industry, like, like I like to think that they're pretty genuine and, you know, I've just made friends. Um, I think that's just always been a part of me that was, you know, I just was good at talking to people, I guess. Yeah. You were, pers- wasn't always you were personable. Like that, <laughs> yeah. But it wasn't always like that. I took that, that part took work. Um, or just to be less uptight and, and awkward. I don't know. I don't know if I really worked on it or if I just, it just clicked one day. Um, <laughs> sure. sure. Uh, yeah. So, you know, it's, it is a bit of a necessary evil though. No. And, and was it, I guess, was it kind of, um, you know, intimidating when you, you know, you were asked to join to saves a day and everything like that? Um, you know, I know that there was a, probably a mixture of emotions. It was excitement. It was, you know, probably nerves sure. and everything was, um, you know, and, and Chris, you know, clearly isn't like an intimidating guy, but you know, he has a vision. 
you know, like, was it, uh, you know, what were your kind of initial feelings stepping into this, you know, kind of already moving train? Well, I didn't really, you know, it's not like I, you know, like I was in bands like in my early twenties that would play with bands like phase of day or hot rod circuit and like sure. alkaline trio, like me and Rodrigo and Derek Grant were in a band together. Um, right before he joined the trio. So like I had these relationships with a lot of people, um, you know, and it was like, I didn't really walk into it, like not knowing what to expect. I don't recall ever feeling intimidated by it. Um, in fact, <laughs> it might be kind of the opposite. There was almost a little bit of arrogance on my part. Um, whatever, fuck it. I'll talk about it. Um, yeah. Like, uh, I remember there was like, a, a discussion like early on, like there was another guy that Chris was like maybe talking to that filled in for some shows. And I think he was interested in maybe having him join the band. I think I just flat out said like, I guarantee you I'm a better fucking guitar player than that guy. Never heard him play. <laughs> don't know him from, I don't even know who he is. I couldn't sure. even, I don't even remember his name. Sure. Um, but I think I said something to that effect. Cause I just wanted to get, and I knew that if I got it, that, you know, I knew what I can, I knew what I could add to it. Um, and it was just about like, you know, just using a little, uh, nudging, I guess. Cause if I was just passive about it, then, you know, maybe we would be having this conversation right now. And, you know, who knows what yeah, I'd be doing. Yeah. Um, I know. So I don't know. I, I, I was a little, you know, I knew where I stood in the scheme of things and, uh, I just was like, you know, what do you got to lose, man? Yeah. Let's see where this goes. So, yeah. I, I, I totally understand that. Especially it's like, like two days into rehearsals for that. That was a tour with alkaline tree actually in like 2009, two days into the rehearsal. Um, Chris was like, yeah, you should join if you want it. And I was like, cool, <laughs> do it. <laughs> I love that. That's so cool. It's like, Oh yeah, yeah. sure. Let's figure it out. <laughs> um, yeah. The, uh, the last thing I want to hit on was the, um, you know, like you mentioned, once you started to get, you know, keyed into Elliot Smith, it led to shoegaze and then, uh, you know, like the obsession with, you know, the cardigans and all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, I, I do think that that is a very, uh, it's a pattern that, you know, a, a lot of people kind of like follow and then they start to, especially with like, you know, shoegaze and like, especially, I mean, from what I've noticed, like Sweden in particular, like you start to get obsessed with all music that kind of comes out of Sweden. Um, you yeah, know, so, so yeah, absolutely. Music and furniture. And they do, they know, they know exactly what they're mm-hmm. doing. Um, and it's, and the music that you created as well. And, you know, a variety of different bands, you know, prior to saves a day kind of had that influence as well. Um, so it, it, to me, it sounds like you should obviously play in a, uh, Swedish, uh, you know, influenced shoegaze band. And why have you not done that already? <laughs> well, uh, so <laughs> funny you mentioned, um, I, me and, uh, Rodrigo have started this thing, um, that we're doing with our friend Kaylee Goldsworthy and, uh, who she's a solo artist, but also has recently been touring with Bayside as like an auxiliary member. And then also with, um, Dave Haas and the Mermaid. Right. She does, um, she does keys. And then, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So we've been writing songs and then with our friend, Ben Hamola, who was in dashboard confessional and now is in group love. And we're doing this kind of like cardigans, cocktail twins kind of thing. And we're pretty amped about it. We're, we're planning on a single this year. Nice. So, there you go, dude. Um, yeah. And I kind of had the realization of that too, where I was like, you know, 
while like my the stuff I do in phase, like I don't feel like I'm necessarily crowbarring it into it. Like I, the, 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 the thing that I think has with why we're still able to do it and why it's, I didn't really have to change much about how I play. And, and it was cool to let that, the way we play together, like sort of help the songs, like just evolve in a live sense. Um, and so that's fun. Yeah. I mean, I do like weird, like Lanny bar shoegazy things and, and, and songs. Sure. Um, yeah. So, but you know, more specific to like that style of music. Yeah. So I've been wanting to write, go back to doing stuff again and getting the itch to like want to create something. I have a new studio in Nashville and it's just given me this like place where whatever it is I want to work on, I have this place to do it whether it's commercials or write with people or produce, like I'm producing a Sierra Custerbeck single right now or uh, EP. Sure. Who's the singer. She was in Bursa Emerge and, and, uh, and now she's kind of doing a solo thing that we're really excited about. It's got this kind of Lana Del Rey vibe to it. That's so right. That's right. I think getting that studio, like, and the way that that whole sort of new project started was in a very cool organic way where, I wrote this thing for a commercial. I asked Kaylee to come sing on it. And then I ended up not submitting the track because I was like, I kind of like this too much. I want to work on it more. Right. And that turned into like, this is kind of cool. Like, what if we did more stuff like this? And then sort of simultaneously, like Rod Rod and I were talking about that. And then then it just sort of happened. And then we get together and we've gotten a few practices in and a couple of demos and, and we're, we're looking to kind of do some shows pretty soon. And that's pretty exciting. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's yeah. always, yeah, it's always exciting when you're able to not only have the capabilities, but then you have the people that surround you and you know, you're of a, an age where it's like, Oh yes, like this, you know, this feels like the right time for everything as opposed to, you know, mm-hmm. when you, <laughs> when you're 17 years old and like you're trying to, you know, just rip off bands that you're like, well, I'm not really ready to do that yet, but <laughs> you still try. Yeah. And I, you know, I reference those bands and stuff. It definitely still sounds very much like us doing it, but um, you know, it's, it's cool. I'm really excited about it. Um, yeah, absolutely. That's super exciting. Yeah. And a, yeah. a, a very, uh, this the, the last thing I'll ask you, cause this is very random, but, uh, I think you would appreciate it. Um, are, are you familiar with the band Kent? Did you ever get into Kent at all? Totally. Okay. I saw them, uh, I saw them at St. Andrew's Hall. Oh, shut the front door. That is amazing. Yeah, man. Were, yeah. Was it just, uh, was it, I mean, were you like super into them or was it just kind of like, oh yeah, like this is a, a cool. I loved a lot of stuff like from that, that time where there was Kent, uh, or like some of that other, like they were like an early 2000s kind of like yeah. pop thing. Right. Did, so there was like, um, there were a few bands like that. Was it star sailor was one. Yeah. Did um, you ever, did you ever mess with uh, my vitriol? I I was familiar with them, but I don't know if I did. Yeah. That's a band. That's a band, right? Yeah, that I remember band. that yeah, band. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't recall. I, I don't think I can recall uh, uh, a nope. record, but I'm pro- I probably have at some point. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, I remember Kent being pretty cool, though. Yeah, yeah. They they definitely yeah. were. They they popped off in the late '90s. It's just it's one of those bands that like the people you know people that I find that you know get into that whole genre of music like once you've you've know, gone past your like cardigans and my bloody valentine and stuff like that and you start to go to the b and c level bands like not popularity wise but yeah. just like next level doves doves was one that hell was yeah huge. yeah 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 getting sure. into doves was a big one um 
yeah, what else? They're English, right? Doves. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, that whole that whole so, UK scene that exploded around that too. It's like you know, I mean, even the, the first Coldplay record, people were just kind of like, I don't know what to do with this, but this is like Radiohead light, but there's also a lot of cool stuff going on there. You know who was even cooler than that was Travis. Hell yeah. Yeah. Like good. the guy was always like, you know, like when I heard first called Coldplay, I was like, oh, this is like Travis Light. Right. <laughs> Dude, for Travis, sure. You yeah, know? absolutely. I just, I just, I mean, like those, that, like the Man Who and the Invisible Band, I thought those records should have been way bigger than any of that Coldplay stuff. But oh, what do I know? Yeah. What do you know, man? You're just, you're just. And it's not the, it's not the, yeah, right. It's not you're like that Coldplay stuff is bad, but just for me, Travis was like yeah. that band. Yep. I, I got to see them live a few times and like that that guy just wrote beautiful songs. He still does. I mean, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so absolutely. Those are great records. Yeah, um, absolutely. I just knew I could nerd out with you about that. So yeah. I, I, oh yeah. <laughs> well, Arun, yeah, thank dog. you. I'm yeah, thank, <laughs> exactly. Well, thank you so much for hanging out, dude. Honestly, this has been super fun and I appreciate your time. This has been great, man. Yeah. I really enjoyed this conversation. You made me think about things that I haven't <laughs> thought about in a long time. So if I was kind of meandering, it was probably because my brain was just like, thinking of things from 20 years ago but uh that's good that was fun thank you very much to arun for coming on the show it was great and i can't wait to uh yeah become better friends with you (laughs) also shout out to rich and the engage agency for uh hooking this conversation up always appreciate when people uh, help out the show and i granted it helps them out too but it also helps out the show uh, next week we have none other than Isaac Hale, who I was mentioning at the top of the show. He plays in knocked loose, plays guitar. And then he also plays guitar in a band called inclination, which was frankly the main reason I had him on because inclination is an incredible straight edge hardcore band just released an EP on pure noise records. And oh my gosh, I love it so much. So I was like, I have to have Isaac on, let's do this. And we did. And it was great. Um, yeah, that's all I got for you. Okay. But please. Like I always tell you, be safe, everybody. Special thank you to Musician for always, always making your life a little bit easier by helping you learn the musical instruments that you want to learn and practice and master. It listens to you play and gives you feedback on your accuracy and timing. So become the musician you have always wanted to be. Visit musician.com slash words to try Musician with a 20% discount using the code words. I love this app so much and you will too. Try it out. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. Shh. Hi, I'm Esther Dean. I've made my life by writing songs like Fireworks by Katy Perry, Super Bass by Nicki Minaj, What's My Name by Rihanna, just to name a few. And now I'm having an absolute blast sharing some of the knowledge that I've learned with upcoming songwriters on Songland on NBC. I'm excited to welcome you to a brand new season of Songland and Songland's podcast, giving you new insight into the magical art of songwriting as told by some of the best in the business and also the pioneers and the up-and-comers who will be shaping the hits you'll be listening to for years. We have an amazing roster of talent this season. I promise you, you don't want to miss one single episode. Don't miss Songland, Monday nights at 10, 9 central. And join us here on Songland's podcast, available every week after the show on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts.